Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Bible for Breakfast podcast. Um, I was on vacation for a little bit, and now I am back, and we are going to continue reading through the Bible uh, in the morning. We're still going through Hebrews. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 7 right now, and then we'll see how far we get in the next little bit here. So Hebrews chapter 7. For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the God Most High, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham divided a tenth part of all, being first by interpretation king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which means king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So we start out right in chapter 7 talking about the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. He was a priest king uh, back in the book of Genesis that Abraham paid a tenth to, which we just read. Um, if, if I remember correctly, uh, Salem was actually the place where Jerusalem uh, would end up being, but it was first called Salem or Salem, which meant peace. Um, and I'm basically saying that, you know, Abraham first gave a tenth to, or tithed to King Salem after he returned back from the spoils of war after saving Lot. Uh, verse 4, Now consider how great this man was, whom even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth out of his best plunder. They, in, they indeed, of the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have a commandment to take tithes from the people according to the law, that is, of their brothers, Though these have come out of the body of Abraham, but he whose genealogy is not counted from them has accepted tithes from Abraham and has blessed him who has the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Here, people who die receive tithes, but their one, but their one receives tithes of whom it is testified that he lives. We can say that through Abraham, even Levi, who receives tithes, has paid tithes. For he was yet in the body of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people have received the law, what further need was there for any priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is of necessity a change made also in the law. For he of whom these things are said belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord has sprung out of Judah, about which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. This is yet more abundantly evident, if after the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest, who has been made, not after the law of a fleshly commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For it is testified, You are priests forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For there is an annulling of a foregoing commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. The law made nothing perfect, and bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without the taking of an oath, for they indeed have been made priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him that says of him, The Lord swore and will not change his mind, you are priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 
by so much Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Many indeed have been made priests because they are hindered from continuing by death. But he, because he lives forever, has his priesthood unchangeable. Therefore he is also able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, seeing that he lives forever to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, holy, guiltless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who doesn't need, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. For he did this once for all, when he offered up himself, for the law appoints men as high priests, who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son forever, who has been perfected. Okay, that was a lot there. Let's see if we can try to unpack that a little bit um, and see if we can try to figure out kind of what we're talking about. So we talked about the first part, the the first three verses here. Now, you know, we're in verse four for this chapter, and we have to consider how great um, Melchizedek was because even Abraham recognized Melchizedek's priesthood. Now, now if you look at the um, Mosaic law or the Levitical law, uh, what happened is that only the priests were meant to be Levites. They were the ones that were dedicated, the ones that they were the tribe that was set aside to bring blessing to the Lord. Um, Moses would have been a Levite. Um, Abraham was a Levite. So as we go through and we have this, um, yeah, Moses and Aaron were Levites. As we go through this, basically God's saying, you know, if the law that God had passed to Moses was perfect because there was this big debate, even in Jesus' time and even afterwards. This is kind of where Paul came from, between the Mosaic or Levitical law and then the law of Christ, of Jesus, of grace and mercy and truth. Um, and which one do you follow? So you have the Levitical law that says only Levites can be priests. Only, God only wants Levites to be priests. And then you have the other laws, laws of the day and age, and the laws of Moses, that were, or laws of God, that were basically saying that anyone can be a priest. You just have to, like, it doesn't matter about your lineage. If you're called to be a priest, you're called to be a priest. And as we're fighting and combating these two, what Paul is saying is, don't you see that it is the faith that is going to allow you to serve as a priest? It had nothing to do with your lineage. That if the law that Moses gave us was perfect, then we'd still be living in that. But as we look through the rest of life, and as we read through Kings, as we read through, some of these Levites did some terrible things. Um, and basically, he's saying is, don't you see that you know Melchizedek, who we who we go through and we appreciate as the priest for Abraham, and Abraham was considered a prophet and one who hears God's voice. But as we go through that, don't you see that um, Melchizedek was not a priest and still, still Abraham, the forefather, revered and respected him and gave him a tenth of his time. And what he's saying is that even though Jesus is not a Levite, he's still our high priest because he was called that way, because he is divine, because he hadn't sinned. Like you could have had a priest, or in, in our case, we could use the word pastor, who would sacrifice or pray to God uh, on our behalf. And he would have to, first of all, ask God to forgive his own sins, 
then, after having been forgiven right then, could he then ask God to forgive the rest of our sins? But he'd have to forgive the, in, his own sin first. And that's where, like, Paul is trying to, and I'm using Paul because that's who we believe the writer is, is trying to pull out and say, don't you see that there's so much more here than what we understand? That even in the beginning, God was pointing out to the fact that it had nothing to do with how who you were born to that made you worthy to be a priest or not. That you can be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That Jesus is our priest forever because Jesus hasn't died, but he has... Jesus died, perfect lamb, but then he has risen from the dead. So he can continually be the lamb before us, being blameless after being cut up into heaven, that he could actually go to God. He could stand before God on our behalf, being blameless. And this idea of someone standing in the gap, standing on our behalf, presenting ourselves to God, is a, something that the priests all had to believe, that you had to be perfect, that the day and age, you had to be perfect to be able to approach a God's throne. Or in this case, you had to be perfect to approach Yahweh's throne because there's a lot of things where, you know, the whole earth is full of his glory, that, that you need to have the perfection, that in him there is no sin, in him there is no death. And when we sin, death enters into our life. And so he's saying, don't you see that in Jesus, Jesus who is God, he now can go to himself on our behalf to say that we are worthy to talk to him directly. Or he can, in a sense, his being can speak to his being and allow us to remain in his presence. Um, and I just, I think it kind of goes here in, in this verse 28, where the law appoints men as high priests who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law, the oath that God swore, the oath that God had said, um, but the word of God's promises, which came after the law, appoints a son forever who has been perfected. That's chapter 7. Let's go ahead and read verse 8. Now, in the things which we are saying, the main point is this. We have such a high priest who sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a servant of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that the high priest has also. Therefore, it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, seeing there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, even as Moses was warned by God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said. See, you shall make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. And that more excellent ministry by as as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which one, which on better promises has been given as law. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. For fighting fought with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will also write them on their heart. I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will not teach every man his fellow citizen. And every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all will know me, for their least, from their least to their greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Can I just, let me read verse 13, then we'll jump back up. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but that which is becoming obsolete and grows aged is near to vanishing away. So I just want to kind of back up a few different things here. So as we are here, we, we talk about God's covenant, basically saying that God made a covenant with the children of Israel on the mountain. Those are basically the covenant you can say expanded more to, but really was the Ten Commandments. Um, the Ten Commandments are, are um, uh, Shane Willard, which if you haven't looked them up, you'd be a great one to look them up. Um, he, he does a lot of study and has a very good hermeneutical or a Bible knowledge for what we're talking about. So I do appreciate you checking them out. But the idea for this is that God made a covenant with the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. And he said, basically, this covenant wasn't good enough because they could not hold up their end of the bargain. So back in the day, when a people or someone would approach a God, a God would then give them their rules that they would have to follow in order to uh, have God's power, in order to have God's grace or God's mercy. So Yahweh, the God of Israel, um, basically said, here are the rules that you need to have with this. And then... Um, the children, the children of Israel didn't listen. I mean, even as soon as God wrote the law, there should be no other gods before me. They were dancing to a golden calf. You shall make no idols. They were dancing to a golden calf, like, like they were doing things exactly not at all, <laughs> exactly opposite of what God had wanted them to do. And basically, God ended up disregarding their end of the covenant. And he did things anyways, even without our knowledge, even without us helping, or without the Israelites doing anything. So he's saying is that he's going to write a new law. He's going to have a new covenant. But this covenant is very weird and different because it's not God trying to extract things from us. In fact, this covenant is all about what God is going to do. So let's going to read that again. We're going to start here in verse 8. Uh, the second, well, yeah, verse 8. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, for they didn't continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. So God will put the laws in our mind. I will also write them on their heart. So God writes them in our heart. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Like, 
I will be their God and they will be my people, which means that they have no choice in the matter. That's what's going to happen. If God is their God, if Yahweh is their God, then they will be Yahweh's people. They will not teach every man his fellow citizen and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from their least to their greatest. Basically saying, everyone's going to know who I am, so there's no need for anyone to tell each other that they need to know who God is because they're going to already know because all are going to serve me. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Now, in this, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more, is that God is choosing to forget our lawless deeds and our sins. So if you are sitting there today, like I'm thinking about this right now, how many times have I messed up? How many times have I blown it or screwed up? But the idea here for me is that God has made a covenant with me that puts the work on God. That means that there's nothing I can do to take myself out of God's hand because God has put the laws into my mind. God has put the laws on my heart. And God is my God, and I will be his people. So if whenever you are curious or wondering or thinking that you've gone too far, you can't go too far because we have a priest, Jesus, according to the order of Melchizedek, which means like the, the highest order of one who served God even without all of the knowings and the thrills and the frills and everything that we read in the Bible and all the promises that he just genuinely served and understood and loved Yahweh. Well, according to the uh, priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, one who is able to stand that gap, that we have Jesus who stands in the gap for us, who understands us, and a God who is determined to be our God no matter what. So determined that he will put his laws in our minds and write his laws in our hearts. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we decide that we don't care about it. Sometimes we decide that it doesn't matter and that we're just going to blow it. But God is always there and God is always listening. And so if you're hearing today, I pray that you listen for God's voice and know that he is there for you. And know that he wants to write his laws on your heart. You just have to be open enough to listen. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done. Thank you so much for not giving up on us. Thank you so much that we can also be kings and priests like Melchizedek because we are among the brethren of Jesus. And we want to follow his example. Lord, help us to see where you are at in all of the scriptures. Help us to follow you more closely so that the cross can always get bigger and any opposition of the world around us gets smaller because we can see who you are and we can see you face to face as a man sees his friend. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you guys next time.